Uh, maybe for you, if you're our guests, or for some uh, online who have just tuned in, I just need to explain soul a little bit. And part of it is on days like Mother's Day and Father's Day, um, it tends to be a little bit uh, exclusive. And so almost from the very beginning, we here at Soul have always decided to celebrate. We'd either celebrate womanhood, as we are today, or we'd celebrate manhood. And so today, being the celebration of womanhood, it was actually very important for me to have one of our female pastors share the life lesson. And so before I introduce to you our speaker for today, I want to introduce to you something that is very important in the history of the fellowship that I ascribe to. Now, you see, I hold credentials. I'm an ordained minister with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. That's the, the, the tribe that I'm a part of. And women have always been included from the very beginning of our history. So as a matter of fact, our fellowship finds its roots back to 1906, the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles, which was, by the way, gender-inclusive. January 1908, uh, a letter, uh, well, not a letter, it was a magazine, it was called The Apostolic Faith. It went out to all the churches uh, after the Azusa Street Revival, and, and it said this, it said, when our Lord poured out Pentecost, he brought out all the faithful women with the other disciples into the upper room, and God baptized them all in the same room and made no difference. All women received the anointed oil of the Holy Ghost and were able to preach the same as men. By 1919, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada started to gather together. They began to form, and they had 15 missionaries compiled, and that list was submitted at a conference. And on that list of 15 missionaries, seven of them were female. So women were evangelists, pastors, teachers, missionaries. Women in the PAOC have conducted evangelistic campaigns, planted churches, established schools, translated scripture. They laid down the framework, the groundwork for the fellowship's expansion throughout all of Canada and eventually overseas. Not every fellowship has, uh, you know, is, is stellar on all levels. It, took on, it wasn't until actually 1984 that women were finally granted official ordination credentials in the Pentecost Assemblies of Canada. So although they were functioning, we were a little slow on the other parts of it. But approximately today in our fellowship, 6% of our uh, churches are, are led by women pastors. Now, with that said, we believe here that God uses people for positions based on the ability and call, not their gender. So Galatians 3 says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit empowered believers with no restrictions on race, on social positions or status, or on gender. We see that in Acts chapter 2. Uh, Joel chapter 2 also talks about it. As I've said a few weeks back in our series, Ask Anything, the creation story indicates a, a, a mutuality, not a hierarchy in the creation story with regard to Adam and Eve. Both were to bear God's image. Both were called to rule over creation. There's a word there, it's called ezer. Uh, it was translated as helper, right? Eve comes in as helper. But that doesn't indicate any submission, but rather it's a mutual partnership. It is used repeatedly throughout Scripture to describe God as helping others, including Israel. Now, according to the Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, women serve in leadership positions. Examples of the Old Testament is Miriam in the book of Exodus. We also have Deborah in the book of Judges. 
We can jump into the New Testament. We have Anna in Luke. We have Phoebe in Rome. We have Priscilla in Acts. We have Udia and Sinte in Philippians. There's this chosen lady, and if you have the moment, just open up to 2 John verse 1. And this is the epistle that John is writing. It's a chosen lady who appears to be a pastor. And a special note needs to be given to Junia in Romans 16.7, who held the office of an apostle. Now, there are going to be some people, maybe it's you here uh, present, or maybe you online, you're going to go, wait, you need to address what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, right, where he restricts the wall of women in the church in some context. Listen, I don't have time to exegete the verse here because I'm pretty sure you guys want to get home for lunch. But let me put it this way. They are best understood as um, situational to the particular cultural context rather than universal directives. Well, Jerry, what about 1 Timothy 2, 9, 15? Okay, okay, I'm with you. And that passage is very challenging as well due to the direct call for women not to teach men along with the appeal as in that passage to Genesis uh, creation text uh, for support. However, let me say this. Paul's admonition here occurs in the context of significant false teaching that was going on in the church of Ephesus at the time, along with other negative cultural influences. Paul's letters to Timothy in Ephesus highlight this ever-present danger of false teaching, especially susceptible at that time, who Paul is addressing were undereducated women who were prone to being deceived due to their lack of knowledge. And so what is being addressed, and there's more to it there that I don't have time to share, but what is being addressed is then is not some universal hierarchy of men and women with regards to teaching, but rather what is being addressed in that passage in Timothy is a distorted view that any woman can teach despite lacking proper training. That's the issue. Now here at Seoul, I recognize, we recognize as leadership that other churches, other fellowships, other denominations may hold a different position regarding the role of women. It's not our intention to cause division in the larger body of Christ. Nevertheless, while respecting any differences, while continuing to respond with kindness and grace, we at Soul Sanctuary unequivocally affirm within our fellowship, within our church, what has been known as an egalitarian position that celebrates unrestricted leadership, capacity for women in our church. We have women pastors. We have women board members. We're all in it together. And so in light of this position, I appreciate personally that for my fellowship, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, that women can be fully credentialed and equipped to lead in any capacity. In our church here at Seoul, we commit ourselves to intentionally celebrate and welcome, welcome the anointing and call of God to vocational ministry on both women and men at all levels of leadership. And so, with all that said, ladies and gentlemen, you need to know that there's a young lady on our staff who has exemplified the call of God on our life. She's been working with uh, our junior youth, otherwise known as Young Life. Do I get a shout out, Young Life? Because I know you're here. Yeah. yeah. Woo! She's committed in her faith. She goes the extra mile with her fellow staff members. And it's evident that she loves the teens that God has placed in her care. 
So, with honor, please give Piper a warm welcome as she now comes to continue in our series of Mark. Or verses 14 to 28. Let's read that together now. 
After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in a boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new way of teaching and with authority. He gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. If we think back to last Sunday, we heard Pastor Jerry talk about John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus and the good news that he was going to bring with him. We also heard him talk about questions, that we all have questions. We all get asked questions. And he left us with a big question. What are you doing with the good news of Jesus? That this good news should put all other news into perspective. That the good news and belief of Jesus Christ should shape the way that you think about your relationships. It should shape, shape the way you think about parenting. It should shape the way you think about university or your job. The good news that Jesus brings should inform the way that you live your everyday lives. In our passage today, we begin to see the outline of the start of Jesus' ministry, of sharing this good news here on earth. So let's get into it. We go back to verse 14 and we read that after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Last week we saw that John the Baptist had come to prepare the way for the, and be this messenger of good news of the coming of Jesus. We see in scripture that after, John, after Jesus was baptized by his cousin John, the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove. And this morning we see that now that John's work is complete, And Jesus has started his ministry here on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. John was more than just the announcer of Jesus' ministry and good news that he was going to bring with him and teach. John's arrest and brutal death happened because he acted in ways that were different to the culture around him. Religious authorities saw him as a threat and they handed him over to Roman officials. This shows us that there was more here than simply meets the eye. There were forces at work against this good news that was being shared. So let's pick it up again in verse 16 now, where we see Jesus call his first disciples to follow him. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. 
Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. As Jesus prepares to start his ministry, he calls a community of followers to him. He calls Simon and his brother Andrew and he says, come, follow me. And at once, they left their nets and they followed him. Continuing on, he saw James and John and called to them as well. And they immediately left their father in the boat with hired men and they followed Jesus. Jesus brings with him a message of good news and he calls people to follow him so that they can share it too. One contextual note about the wording of Jesus saying, come follow me. Prophets of that time, they didn't call people to follow themselves, but they called them to follow God. The sages of Jesus' day never called people to follow them, only to, fo- to learn the Torah from them. Jesus' call on the lives of the disciples is dramatically authoritative and matches the biblical pattern that we see in the Bible of God calling all humanity for his purpose. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 14, we see the call of Abraham. It says, The Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. The call God makes towards Abraham and the call that Jesus made to the first disciples, they're very similar. It's a command with the promise which is followed by obedience. And the call so overpowers these disciples that their lives are not and will not be the same again. Can we talk about this for a minute? Jesus calls these men during their work day. These men were working to make an income for their families, to support for themselves. But immediately, they left to follow Jesus. They show their desire to turn away from what they know and into something new, from fishermen to fishers of men. They received a command to follow Jesus, a call to change their lives as they knew it, and they followed this by their immediate their immediate obedience to Christ. We also get the benefit of seeing the whole story. And because of this call on the lives of the disciples, we see that these disciples, they made a difference in the lives of other people. And they brought this good news to so many different nations. As we continue in the passage, we see that Jesus, who calls his disciples with such astounding spiritual power, also teaches with power. Continuing in verse 21 to 28, we read, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region 
of Galilee. In the scripture, we see highlighted the authority that Jesus has. We see him teaching with authority, healing with authority, and even the evil spirits know and obey the authority of Jesus. Mark highlights and emphasizes the power of Jesus' teaching, not its content. How often are we more concerned with being a good person or being a good Christian rather than giving Jesus the authority and power over our lives? When I was thinking through this, the words of Mark with the power of the Holy Spirit truly convicted me. As I was preparing for this life lesson, I recognized in myself a desire to perfect every word. And quite honestly, I was more concerned with the content than actually letting Jesus use me by his power. Mark reminds us that it's not just about perfection, content, or getting the Christian thing right. While these things are not bad, they're not all that it is. It's the power and authority of Jesus that is truly life-transforming. We see Jesus partner this authoritative teaching with miracles of healing and authority over evil spirits who seek to disrupt Jesus' teaching with an outburst. But Jesus tells the spirit to shut up because he doesn't want to hear any demonic testimony. And we see that even the demons listen to the authority that Jesus has. So what does this authority we see Jesus display mean for our lives? Jesus continued to proclaim the good news of the coming kingdom of God. Not only did Jesus display his authority and his teaching, healing, and everyday life, but he also brings with him the good news that we heard about from Pastor Jerry last week. The gospel story is highlighted throughout the entire Bible. We see it start in the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God created humanity to be with him in right and intimate relationship. But then sin and selfishness entered the story and created a separation in this relationship. It created a barrier between relationships within humanity. And it even created a barrier between humanity and creation. But the story doesn't end there. And we have the benefit of knowing what comes next in the story. As Mark highlights in our passage for this morning, we see the good news of Jesus Christ and the coming kingdom of God. Jesus came to earth taking on the very nature of a servant to restore the relationship between humanity and God. And this is the good news that we're talking about this morning. It's the good news of truth. That with the coming of Jesus, we can see what God is like in his fullness and come to know him better. We do not need to guess or reach for God because we, see, we can see and know him and be in restored relationship with him. It's the good news of hope. Humanity does not have to live a hopeless or purposeless life. We don't have to search for our purpose. As Christians, we don't have to live a hopeless or purposeless life. It's not hidden away for us to find. We have hope through our relationship with Jesus, and our purpose is revealed to us in Scripture through the commandments of loving God and loving other people. We're given a life of fullness through relationship with Jesus. And it's the good news of peace, that we can live in confidence, in the confidence of our relationship with Jesus and come to him with our worries and anxieties that disrupts this intended peace. So what do we do with this? The first step is hearing and receiving the good news. 
recognizing the authority of Jesus and the authority that he has, that he truly was who he said he was, the Son of God. Recognizing that he has called you to follow him and begin a relationship with him because he loves and cares for you. And the second step is to follow Jesus, to follow him in the life he calls us to, a life that starts with repentance. This involves turning away from our old lives as we were once living them and turning towards Jesus. And this involves turning away from our sin. We see this displayed in the lives of the first disciples. They had an encounter with Jesus and this truly changed the course of their lives. As they turned from their old selves, their families, and their nets to follow Jesus, we turn from our own sin and our own selves to follow Jesus. This is repentance, to have a change of mind and action that follows it. But I want to make something clear this morning. Repentance cannot just be sorrow for the consequences of sin. It has to be sorrow for sin itself. As human beings who often act on selfish desires and have sin in their lives, which separates them from their relationship with God, we cannot simply be repentant for the mess that our actions make. That's easy. It's easy to feel sorry for broken relationships, our family members being hurt, and it's easy to feel sorry for a broken family. But true repentance looks like sorrow for the actual sin in our lives that separates us from God. Maybe it's your selfishness that has caused your relationships to be broken or strained. Maybe it's your pride that has caused your family members to be hurt or a broken family. Or maybe you're really struggling with other temptations that cause you to live separated, to be separated from God and live the life that he calls us to. Repentance looks like turning away from those actions and into a new way of living, to do a complete 180 degree turn and turn and walk towards Jesus. This new life with Jesus is not just about repentance. While that's important, it's also about turning towards Jesus. And that leads us to our third step this morning. The third step is to believe. To believe in the good news means to simply take Jesus at his word. To believe that God is the kind of God that Jesus told us about and that the Bible writes about. To believe that he has come so that we may live life and live it to the full. To believe that God so loved the world that he will and has made any sacrifice to bring us back and restore the relationship between him and humanity that was broken in the Garden of Eden. So what does that mean for our lives? Maybe you're sitting here today and thinking that Christianity is a huge list of rules, a list of do's and a list of don'ts that the Bible writes about, and you have to follow or else you will be condemned. But this morning I'd like to suggest that maybe more important than running away from sin, we need to run towards Jesus and the life that he offers us. In John 10.10, we read, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. A life lived out with Jesus is a promise of life to the full. A promise of peace that passes all understanding in a society where anxiety is so prevalent. A promise of joy when all the circumstances and things that around you would not make you happy. Jesus promises true and unending joy. 
A promise that God is restoring our relationship with him, restoring our relationships with each other, and restoring our relationship with creation. Because of what he did on the cross, we can live in right relationship with God. In Romans chapter 6, verses 17 to 18, it says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. As we live in the confidence of our relationship with Jesus, we also live and walk in freedom from sin. We no longer have to live as slaves to sin, but rather walk in righteousness. Jesus says that if someone wants to be his disciple, he must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. And this isn't going to be an easy process. We see that in what Jesus did for us on the cross. But he says point blank in Mark chapter 8, verse 36 to 37, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? As Christians, we must ask ourselves the question, what is on the throne of your heart? What do you care about most? Do you live your life in such a way that acknowledges the authority that Jesus has? Have you truly heard the good news of the gospel and changed the way that you live because of it? In Acts chapter 2, verse 36 to 38, it says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and all the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you feel like God is speaking to you this morning? If we look at what Peter says to do when this happens, he says to repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we got to see three people take this next step of water baptism because they accepted the good news of the gospel and the new life that that brings. And they've chosen to repent of their sin and turn away from their old life and live for Jesus. Maybe you're hearing this message of Jesus for the first time this morning. If that's you, then I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus. Right now, I invite you to take a moment just between you and God. And to acknowledge the three steps that we went through this morning. To acknowledge that you have heard and received the good news of Jesus and the life that he promises you this morning. To ask for forgiveness from the sin in your life that separates you from God. And truly believe that Jesus loves you. He cares for you and he showed that love for you on the cross. If you prayed that this morning, if you started a relationship with Jesus this morning, I would love to know. I would love to be able to celebrate with you. So come find me after the gathering, and I can, we can help you find out what your next step is. This morning, we have read in the book of Mark about the beginning of Jesus' ministry here on earth. We've seen that he has authority in teaching and in healing. Jesus wants to heal and restore like we see in the miracles from the passage this morning. And these miracles are not insignificant, but they are only temporary. They point to the eternal message that is the good news of the gospel. 
that Jesus lived, he died, and he rose from the dead in order to restore the relationship between him and humanity, between him and I, and between him and you. Let's pray together. God of hope, God of love, God of joy, you call us from the exile of our sin with the good news of restoration. You created a way for us to live in restored relationship with you, with each other, and with creation. Comfort us with the understanding of this good news, of your saving power made known to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing with us this morning our final song as the band leads us?
after the gathering, we could stack them in, in sacks of eight high. And if you're a woman this morning, we would love to bless you with a little gift as you leave. So make sure you grab one of those on your way out this morning as well. But in ancient times, the one who gave the blessing extended their hands and those receiving the blessing did likewise. Soul Sanctuary, as you go, may you remember the new, good news of Jesus, having been reminded of his authority and sacrifice made on the cross, receive the good news. May you live your lives in response and use your voices to proclaim this good news to those around you. May you proclaim the good news of salvation, which we know in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. So sanctuary, as you go with changed hearts and minds and actions that follow. Go and live the church and be blessed and we will see you next week.